Riley, we need some intro music. Ooh. <laughs> I like it, I like it, I like it. Women, get it. Okay, let's go down that road. I didn't see that coming. There's a surprise at every turn. Woman, get it. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Woman Get In Podcast. Who is with me in the studio today? The same as always, Mandy. <laughs> yes, my favorite person to be in the studio with. <laughs> and I am Miley. And we're so happy that everyone could be with us today. Mandy, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Like, yeah, really well. How are oh, you? Oh, good. Can I expand on you being really well? Because sure. before joining us today, you were on a walk and I just love the sound of that. Oh yeah. So the last couple of weeks I have been going for walks most days. Um, I get out at least four days a week. Like wow. ev- every day is just not possible because I have other things going on. Like I did a day trip to Tucson this weekend, um, which doesn't leave me a whole lot of daylight. And I'm only going to go outside if the sun is shining. So, (laughs) and we've had a lot of gray lately, but yeah, I've been trying to get outside for like 30 to 45 minutes and do like really fast walks, like mile and a half to two miles, just depending on how much time I have and how cold it is and (laughs) all the things. But yeah, I've been doing walks like at least four days a week for the last couple of weeks. Because I have all this new time in my schedule that it's so nice. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy that yeah. for you and that you get the benefits of this and you get time. I love it. Time. My like my number one, right? Like time has mm-hmm. always been my the thing I value the most is having time. And, you know, a month ago I was rearranging my time and giving another person a lot of priority. Yeah. And now I don't have to do that anymore because that person (laughs) was not fucking worth it. And I don't have to race around and like be done with my day at like three, three or three 30 PM. And I can wake up, do my business, like literal my business, you know, bake and frost and deliver and all those things and answer emails and get my things done. Like, I just don't feel the same. Like, I don't have any of the stress that I did. Like, even though, like back then, I don't think I would have even said it was stressful. Like if you asked me, but I was definitely always on like, I don't know, not on edge, but maybe on edge, actually, like probably on edge sometimes, but there was just a lot of just a lot of like hurrying up to get things done to accommodate somebody else. And, uh, I really like not doing that. (laughs) I really like having my time back. I'm like, I've got a little workout routines with like walks four days a week. I've got like the exercise bike back up, like worked into. You are? Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know about the, like you bringing back the exercise bike. Cause I know that you are having some, you're waiting for your knee to get better. And so things are good. Exactly. So I got back on it this past week and I was just curious to see what would happen. How does my knee feel when I'm riding the bike? And at first it was a little, I felt something in my knee as I was getting going, but I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll see. Maybe it's just, you know, reacclimating to the, to the riding and how it feels. And I just kept going with the ride and I went pretty hard and like the first time back. Yeah. I didn't really mean to, but it just felt so good. It felt right. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So like normally I try to keep my heart rate below the cardio zone. I just try to stay in a nice, like fat burning heart rate. Like, cause I just don't like to get my adrenals too high. I was in the cardio zone for a lot of this workout. I went pretty hard at it. It felt, I was like, well, we'll see how my knee feels tomorrow. And it didn't feel bad at all. So I've just carried on, like got the bike back in. I've got a ball workout to do today. I'm a little sore from weights that I've been doing. (laughs) So yeah, that's great. all the nice little varied workout exercise stuff worked back in with my walks, which I had been doing walks for a while, um, you know, over the course of the last year, but then they just sort of fell off and it got cold and now the sun is shining and I'm 
I, I have the time. So I'm taking the time and putting it in my schedule to do for me. Good for you. Thanks. You're a really good role model for the rest of us. Yeah. Well, it's a nice time to also it. listen to my new audio books. Um, yeah. I find that I do better listening to my audio book when I'm walking and listening. Ah, okay. Um, which audiobook are you listening to right now? John Kim, Single on Purpose. Ah, yes. Shout out to John Kim. He, yeah. I mean, I always love his posts, but yesterday yeah. he had posted something on Instagram that was, it really resonated with me. So he's definitely fresh on my mind right now. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've followed him for years and I, um, I've known of, you know, a few of his books and this one, I, I had a credit with Audible and I thought, eh. Yeah. I'm going to read this, like, listen, quote, read this book and see what it's all about. And uh, I'm enjoying it. It's a lot of his stories. Like it's a lot of therapy, but through his story and like how he came to like a, a lot of the, the ways he works with clients. Cause a lot of the clients that come to him are going through a breakup or in a tough spot in their marriage or, and I think he even posted something speaking of his Instagram about the phrasing going through a breakup and how he's trying to to convince people to get rid of that phrase Mm. because it's and I was like yeah for me I don't feel like I'm going through a breakup at all I uh when anybody said to me when they're finding out which pretty much I think most people around me at this point know but when anyone says something to me like oh you guys broke up I go no I kicked his lying cheating ass out we did not break up. Like for me, yeah. phrasing is very specific. Yes, you're right. This was not a mutual decision. This was him being a lying, cheating coward. And I found out about it and I was like, you got to go. So no, we did not break up. I kicked him out. Can I just publicly, I don't know if I said this to you, maybe I thought about it or well, I definitely thought about it. So I just don't know if I <laughs> dreamt about it or said it. And at the rate that I'm going these days, I can't remember what is real and what is a dream. So, uh, at some point I had said, like, I really admire and I appreciate, uh, that you model really good decision-making when it comes to your boundaries, to respect, to treatment, the way you need to be, should be treated by, especially someone who, says or claims or you see is someone who is a partner, a life partner for you. It's hard just because you do it doesn't mean it's easy. Just because you do it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It's firm. Like you're out because you're a liar and you're a cheater out. Like there's nothing like there's no squishiness around that. Right. Like uh, again, ever since Jesse's episode last week, I'm really mindful of like squishiness and and so I really appreciate that because I've been squishy in my boundaries in the past when partners or people I've dated are like iffy about another person. And I'm like, it's either her or me. And I, and I give the person the choice, but I shouldn't even do that. Like if you're even interested in someone else, go like, there's no point for us to yeah. even talk about us. Yeah. If I'm not a hell yes, then yes. you're a hell no. I love that. And that I really appreciate you being a great example of that for me. Yeah. I don't want anybody who's not fully invested and exactly. I had given him enough chances and enough time and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a lot of that will come out in an episode that we'll be recording (laughs) soon. Yeah. But like, but if you tell me you're going to do something, okay, go do it, figure it out, fix your shit, fix your broken shit and get it together, report back. Like, I would love to know what exactly these discoveries are you're having about the fucked up way your mind works and why you can't have relationships. But like, if you don't do it and then you're back to the same bullshit, bye. Like, I don't have time for that. You're wasting my fucking time. You're a waste. Like, it's so harsh. Like, I'm so, (laughs) I am so harsh. I'm just like, you are a waste of fucking space and time get out of my life, take everything that might remind me of you with you and never show your face around me again. No, no, no. Is it harsh? I don't know if that's the right word. That's my boundary though. Exactly, that is exactly. that is hundred percent my no, no, thing. No. Like, and that's what I say. Like, I, I don't say like harsh is a bad thing. Like I, I need, I want to have those kinds of boundaries and be firm and articulate that. Like in past relationships, I've given 
a person multiple chances and multiple chances and multiple chances. And it's a small example, but I'm not someone who just like cuts. It's not, it's very, it's not easy for me to get cut people out immediately. It takes me a long process to cut people out, even though I know I should, I, it takes me forever to in the last few months. Like I, 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 you know, I told you, I was like, I blocked someone and it was really hard for me to do. It took me a year to, to block this person. And it got to the point where I'm like, wow, I've never gotten to a point where I was so firm on a boundary and it's a, it's new territory for me. And I'm going through a lot of like, you know, uh, withdrawals and regret, but guilt. And then I'm like, no, but like, that's good for my health. It's good for me. Like I need, like, I need to stand up for myself. I need to speak up for myself. Again, it just reaffirms like when I see you place and respect yourself and honor yourself with your firm boundaries. It gives me strength and like reaffirms me that yes, like when I place a boundary and I have to be firm about it, like I, I should feel good about myself and not bad about myself or feel guilty or bad that I'm hurting someone else's feelings. I need to take care of myself. I need to stand up for myself. You doing what you're doing and sharing that with me and the whole world, I think is a great example and great role modeling. And, and I need, I personally need to see more of that in the world so that I can be stronger and more resilient about my boundaries. Thank you. I mean, I firmly like, if you dick me over, fuck your feelings. Like, Yeah. I, see, I need to, you know, I, and I still care about people's feelings. That's my problem. This person displayed to me that they have no actual feelings. I mean, you're on dating apps while you're living with yeah. me. You're on multiple dating apps. The minute you walk out the door from living with like, from the minute I kick you out, you're on multiple dating apps. You have no respect for me or this relationship. I don't, I have no space for that. Yeah. No. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Man. Good. <laughs> good. Literal just, dirt bag. Yeah. Man. So, I'm so sorry. He's a terrible person and we don't always see it at first. Yeah. I didn't no. have any, I didn't have any reason to look into anything you know what I mean until I did and when I did I was like oh this mother <laughs> this motherfucker <laughs> like no but that's way. the thing right when you're with someone you want to give them the benefit of the doubt that you can trust them oh, and yeah. you shouldn't have any reason to be suspicious like mm-hmm. it's disappointing that you'd have to ask I love I love that you said the benefit of the doubt, because I have been seeing multiple things lately about benefit of the doubt. Sylvester McNutt, I think another person you probably know. He said, you don't have to give anybody the benefit of the doubt. Forget that. Like if something makes your spidey senses, your, this women's intuition, we are so lucky to be like, we just have this innate thing. If something makes that go off, no benefit of the doubt. Like I don't need to give anybody the benefit of the doubt. Oh, right. I was just thinking if you don't have those spidey feelings, like most mm-hmm. people, if I'm not feeling any of those things, I'm like, I give you the benefit of the doubt unless I feel something. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Then I do need a question. Yeah. If there's something questionable, it's questionable. <laughs> like, yeah. And then at the end, there's always, there's shame around how long you might've let some bad behavior yeah. go on or how you might've ignored things or didn't press the issue hard enough, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And you didn't either. I love that we're sharing. Yeah, um, me too. This is awesome. Can't wait for that episode when we just talk about all these things. Because I think it'll also help too. We'll, we'll uh, what is it? Unpack. Yes, I have uh, some worksheets for us Ooh. while we go through the episode. And I'll definitely put the info in the, in the descriptor in the episode that day too. So that'll be good. But yeah, I went for my walk today. I did all my caking business. I made some emails, did some things. I got one more workout to do. I think I need to go to the grocery store because I'm about out of food. So I'm trying to take care of all the things, all the things that have meaning to me. It's like daylight, movement, food, rest. Do you have any events coming up this weekend? I know that there's a big event the following. I don't have any events for the next couple weekends, not until the weekend of the Super Bowl. That's next week. Oh no. Okay. I'm completely like, off. It's in yeah, three, it's like, three weeks. Three weeks yeah. from now. It's about three Never weeks. Mind. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> I have one I might be adding in, but I haven't reached out to her yet to see if I can squeeze in a day. So I don't know. We'll see. No events. What about you? What's going on with you? I went to your hometown, Tucson. Not your hometown. I went to your college town, Tucson. No, you didn't get your passport, did you? No, I went just for funsies with friends. Ah, uh, 
thought I was going to say, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went on a Sunday. So <laughs> totally did not get a passport. She's like trying to beat me, get her pilot license before I get my passport. I pulled my passport out. It's back on the coffee table and it will get done. Ah, okay. 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 I'm getting close to. <laughs> yeah. Kinda, not really. Kind of, but not really. Yeah. I'm aiming for like the next two weeks or so to fill that oh, out. Just mail no. it. Okay. I'm just going to mail it off. I'm going to do my check ride in the next two weeks. I'm not even going to bother with the whole global entry thing yet. I'm just going to mail off and renew the passport. And then once I get, cause that'll be faster. Once I get the passport back, I'll look into global entry or at least pre-check. I don't have any worldwide plans. And it's not like I have to have that to travel. As long as I have the passport, I can travel. I'm excited to hear about your traveling. I hope you travel a lot this year. Did I tell you I'm thinking about going to Italy for the whole summer? Yes. <laughs> I hope you do actually. Uh, I will be traveling a lot over the next two weeks. I think that's where I had a little brain fart there because I'm thinking of the next two weeks and I'm a little overwhelmed. I go to Pennsylvania next week. I will be visiting the University of Pennsylvania Dental School and doing some lecturing and stuff there. And then I go to South Dakota to help with a humanitarian mission trip up there and then and then (laughs) then and then and then and then Mm -hmm. so I yes um but that is it right now and then just trying to focus on my flying but yeah I have some news or some potential news that I've been wanting to tell you or not even news I'm so sorry uh, something really cool that we or you might want to do because we are Bridgerton fans. There is a fundraiser that's happening. Apparently, the country of Scotland says that if you own any piece of property in Scotland, no matter how big, whether it's five square feet or something, if you meters. own any property, usually they go by meters are, over there. Oh, okay. And you are officially a lord or a lady. So if we buy property in Scotland, because I keep pausing because I keep wanting to say Scottsdale, but I know it's Scotland. <laughs> That's why I keep pausing. That's why I'm saying the word Scotland so weird. Hang on, I'll, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go Google some property real quick for Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but there's a, this fundraiser that is, uh, they're like trying to raise money for conservation efforts. One of the many things that you could purchase besides like planting a tree every year somewhere or whatnot. You can buy a small piece of land and our good friend, Scott Howell, he is now Lord Scott Howell because he owns five square feet of property in Scotland. So now, yeah, he has a proclamation and everything. And it says, uh, proclamation to thy Lord Scott Howell. (laughs) So I think you and I could totally be ladies in Scotland. Oh my God, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Lady Mandy. And I don't know why I have this British accent or European. It's not even a Scottish accent. I don't know what a Scottish accent is, but it's not like what I'm pretending to talk like. But you could be Lady Mandy and I could be Lady Miley. I could go by my government name and be Lady Amanda. Lady Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we should totally buy some property. I have Scottish <laughs> roots. There's actually Scottish on ah, my dad's side of the family. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's well, a trip that I really in- do actually want to take is more England and Scotland. Okay. And cool. Ireland. Get me to yes, Ireland. I think I will be going to Ireland in a year or two. There's a dental conference there, so I'm going to hit it up. If you're still doing this, (laughs) well, I have to keep this job. I have to hold, please. I need to, I need this job for two more years. (laughs) So get all the fun dental conferences in now. Mm -hmm. Unless I somehow make a lot of money for a while. I was just joking about marrying rich, but I don't know if I want to marry. So I don't know if I want to marry rich, but if I can make my own money and not have to pay back my loans and or worry about my bills. (laughs) Well, 
I mean, I got an interesting uh, request in my Instagram DMs this week for a guy who just wanted to pay my bills at like $3,000 a month. I just needed to be his little sugar baby. So Mm. that's always an option. I don't really have it. I don't really have it in me to be someone's sugar baby. (laughs) I'm just Uh, not for that. I I get requests to be ABGs. Asian baby girl. Oh, that, so that's the Asian version of, of a, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I get requests for, you know, would you like to be my ABG? I could totally <laughs> be someone's Asian baby girl. You're like, what do I need to do? Do you need more than two hours a week from me? Because <laughs> but that's all I, all I got. got. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. And don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so that's what I, those are the requests I get in my Instagram. I just need to find the, a rich guy and be like a findom and get some money from these pay pigs what's a findom financial dominatrix oh i didn't know that oh yeah you can find these people who will just let you verbally assault them like in zoom or a um you know video chat kind of thing and uh, they just pay you to verbally assault them tell them what a pig and they don't deserve their money and yeah it's pretty wild I don't know how to verbally assault someone. See, I'm in such a, like, I, I'm in this place of like borderline rage sometimes. So <laughs> where, <laughs> where I'm at in my life right now, it really would work out for me to just verbally yes. assault a man and, like and, and a you're couple witty. times a week. <laughs> well, you're witty too. So it would be like witty verbal assault. So <laughs> yeah, you little bitch, give me that fucking money. Like I could do that for 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That would be awesome. I love it. Walk away with 500 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I like it. I like it. We digress. We do. I was just thinking that I was like, so on today's episode, speaking of breasts, (laughs) (laughs) I think every, everyone out there and every woman out there has definitely, you have someone close to you who's been impacted by breast cancer. And I was just going to say, I know that when we talk about breast health, oftentimes people think about women who have breasts, but men have breasts too. And all people, everyone has breasts and you have a chance depending on how big or how little that chance is, there's a chance for unhealthy breast tissue to be formed. So Mm -hmm. being aware of your breast health is actually really important for everyone. Yeah. Men have the same hormones that can trigger breast cancer. Um, although it's just, it's a lot less common, but I mean, I have a few friends who've gone through breast cancer treatment, surgeries, reconstruction at young ages, like 29 and 39. I mean, not to mention women, my mom's, you know, my mom's friends and women, her age, uh, lots of people of that age group. I have a friend who lost her mom to breast cancer. I think it was breast cancer. It may have been breast cancer the first time and came back as ovarian or something similar, but it's you're, it's always a good idea to stay on top of your health, get your screenings, see your doctor, um, just making sure. And then Kelly in this episode, Kelly Rosso is so great about giving, you know, kind of baseline stuff for that women can do in order to lower their risk factors around things like exercise and drinking and smoking and diet, uh, which I thought was really helpful. I I don't know that it would have changed any of my behavior when I was 26, knowing that I shouldn't be drinking more than four drinks a week, but uh, it's definitely something I keep in mind now. Yeah, me too. Um, Also, like just being mindful of like exams. I know that Kelly had mentioned about that too. So yeah. I love our episode. I love that Kelly was very down to earth to talk with. She is. And I've only known her socially for a little while now. Uh, and I know you and I have been talking about like chatting with her for a while and we finally got to make it happen, which was exciting. It was, it's awesome to hear from a female surgeon in a world that is like surgery speaking surgery wise, it's often very male dominated. So it's cool to have a female surgeon, breast cancer. I think, I don't know. We just need, we need more boss ladies like that. Like you, like her. Like you, Mandy. Yeah, I'm a boss. 
<laughs> you're a boss babe boss lady I was gonna say super boss I'm the boss of me exactly booyah and that's right where I want to be mm-hmm. I love it well yeah. I hope everyone enjoys the episode and it was re- it was a really great episode so I'm I, I hope everyone enjoys it as much as we did great let's get into it Okay, we are here today with Kelly Rosso. Kelly is a breast cancer surgeon uh, here in Phoenix, Arizona. I met Kelly through the vegan community sometime in the last couple of years. I can't really pinpoint because everything in COVID is kind of strange and I don't I just can't, I don't, I don't know time anymore, <laughs> but I met Kelly and um, she's been supporting my business and I found out what she does. And I thought that was really cool. And I asked her if she wanted to come and talk with us on the podcast a little bit about being a breast cancer surgeon and perhaps give us some tips on what women might need to know when they are going through something like this. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mandy and Miley. We are so excited to have you. Great. Uh, I know you had a busy day today. Your little one had a little procedure done. Oh, yes. He's, um, he's almost two and he is going through the terrible twos already (laughs) and he is very independent. Um, but yeah, he took a long nap today. He's feeling better. I'm a little drained, but that's how being a mom is. Yeah. He's doing great. Yeah. When they're struggling, it's probably emotionally draining on you and it's like mentally taxing and you feel like it's been three days wrapped into one. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Kids bounce back so well though. He's doing great. Yeah. That makes me think of like when I I had my tonsils out as a full on grown up, I was 32 or something, 33, something like this. And it was so rough. And everybody just kept kept telling me stories of how fast their kids recovered. Like later on that night, their kid ate a steak and potatoes, something like this. And I'm like, not eating for five days. (laughs) Like I took the smallest bites of food because even having to chew anything was Mm. brutal. And I'm like, yeah, it's not the same when you're 32 having your tonsils out. It's not, it's not. It's very unfair. Uh, well, like thank it's you the same for a lot of things though. Yeah. Yeah. Like just as we get older, any kind of treatment procedure we get, we don't bounce back as quickly as when we are kids. I swear. I will tell you, I had bunion surgery, which is also one of like the more notoriously brutal, painful things to like heal from. And I swear that was less uncomfortable oh. than my tonsils. The first five days, like day one of the bunion rough anesthesia wears off. It hurts, but like not as intensely for five days, but like the tonsils. And I mean, eating for a month after the tonsils yeah. was I mean, tough. I remember your bunion surgery. Yeah. I was around. I wasn't around during tonsils, but I was around for your bunion surgery. And But I think mm-hmm. it's also different parts of your body as well. Yeah. In your head, it sucks. When you can't mm-hmm. eat, mm-hmm. everything sucks. Kelly, <laughs> yeah. tell us a little bit about being a breast cancer surgeon. So you kind of let us in on the fact that you treat your patients like family members and your grandmother had breast cancer and that inspired you to go into this field. It did. It did. So she was rather young when she had breast cancer. And so I was, uh, I think five or six. And I remember sitting with her at family functions and she had terrible lymphedema from breast cancer surgery and lymphedema is where your arm swells up and retains fluid because the lymphatics are disrupted from the surgery. And I remember just sticking my fingers in her arm and they would, you know, leave dents. And I thought that was the funnest thing to do. And we would just sit together and she would tell me stories and I would play with her arm when I got older and a little more mature, I was like, Oh my goodness. Wow. She went through so much. Um, Unfortunately had a recurrence and passed away. She passed away really kind of in my transitional year in college or transitional time, I guess, when I was deciding what I wanted to do with my life and what I wanted to be. And, and that kind of directed me toward medicine and, and surgery and breast cancer surgery. Wow. What a field, honestly, like what a field to 
be in. I think, especially as a woman, do you find that you're kind of in the minority in that group? I, you know, I am in surgery, especially you, you kind of find your, your crew, your lady crew and kind of um, become lifelong friends, but you're still in the minority, especially when I was training a decade ago, the medical school, you know, male female ratio was 50 50, but that was fairly new and, and contemporary, but I was trained by all male, almost all male surgeons. And they oftentimes felt it okay to ask me, you know, why are you here? Are what, you know, what, what are you interested in? Don't you want to have kids? Why aren't you home with your kids? So it, it just kind of, kind of made me really, really passionate about it and, and kind of want to do it even more because of kind of all the subtle, you know, resistance from, from the older male population. But, you know, there are a lot of, a a lot of young women surgeons now who are very passionate. They work really, you know, we work kind of women in general, I feel like work maybe twice as hard as our male counterparts to get where we are. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great field, a great profession. It's hard work. It's stressful, but I am very passionate about it. And I love what I do. That's awesome. I think like Miley's a doctor. So of the two of us, she's gone through residency. She's gone through, you know, dental school and this, and I worked at that school. So I did see the classes become even in gender and, but there, there used to be a lot of discrepancy in the residency, even in like a general dentistry residency program as like male to female, but like, it's, I don't think it's quite the same as medicine where I think the, like you were saying, the elder, the teachers are pushing you into like obstetrics and gynecology and like lady parts medicine versus like being a surgeon or, you know, cardiac, whatever it might be. Well, in, in dentistry, we have oral surgeons and periodontists. And again, it's very, I, I, I forgive me if I'm wrong, but I would assume medis, medical school is one thing, but then it's going into the subspecialties such as surgery and as even more specific, mm-hmm. like cancer surgery, or breast cancer surgery, the more subspecialized you become, the more of a minority you are as a female, mm-hmm. because even in dentistry right now, there's not very many female oral surgeons. There's not uh, you know, very many female periodontists from a general standpoint, and maybe in general medicine, we see an improvement, Mm -hmm. but, but there's still a ways to go. Mm -hmm. And, and when you said the part about how women have to work twice as hard to do the jobs that we're doing, not only are we doing that, but we also have to go up against other things like inappropriate comments and how, and, and how that affects us mentally and physically on top of the physical hard work that we have to do. Yeah. Did anyone turn around and ask the male doctors, like, don't you want to be home with your kids? I, you know, the first couple of years in my residency, I really didn't say anything when I had those little microaggressions, but as I got older and I had a, I had a kid in residency. So I was kind of had that, you know, motherly, I, I was emboldened as a mother and an advocate as well. And so I didn't keep my mouth shut. And um, one of my friends who is a female resident had in her, in her review, she should smile more. And I threw a fit. I was like, would you say that to a male resident? And, um, and immediately it was brought to the attention of the person who wrote it. And he really internalized that. And he was like, yeah, I would never have said that to a male. And so just you know, bringing it to their attention. Sometimes they don't know that these things are kind of hurtful and aggressive. Um, But, you know, speaking up, I think is, is important for sure. You know, like there's always a way to do it. Right. But, um, but, you know, being comfortable speaking out is, is kind of what I um, worked on in residency and what I, you know, am able to do now. Was that a female resident saying that about you? No, it was a it was a male, male saying it about you. Okay, surgeon writing a review of my female co-resident. Got that it. Oh, service, but she needed to smile more. Okay, I love that you 
yes. threw a fit about it in your words. Like I would have too. I'd have been like, what the no. Exactly. <laughs> Smiling is not part of the job description, just a heads up. It's it's nowhere in any of the job descriptions that I've seen for a surgeon. So how would that benefit me? Exactly. Yeah. How does that make you a better surgeon? I was, I'd be like, I'm trying not to get wrinkles. I don't want to <laughs> smile. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I don't know, like you're going to ask but me a stupid question. It, has, no, it, it does not define the kind of work ethic you have. Like it has nothing to <laughs> yeah. do with what you bring. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's wonderful that you were there to be able to advocate for situations like that, because imagine if it was an all male Mm -hmm. faculty or, you know, so there there wouldn't be anyone to recognize microaggressions like that and actually point it out. Yeah. And him being so receptive. That's Mm -hmm. great. That's like a really nice thing to hear in the story that they weren't just like, and then like, giving you some sort of downgrade or bad review for speaking up. So I, I love that the way you did it actually prompted a response for that person. And that person was able to hear it and go, yeah, actually, you're right. That was wrong. I shouldn't do that. Learn from it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you can kind of identify mentors and allies by creating these conversations. I so smart. A great mentor and an ally. And he's a wonderful person. And we still... I'm not good at keeping in touch long distance or, you know, anything like that, but um, he's wonderful. I can call him up anytime and and ask him any questions and he's wonderful. Yeah. I love that. So you've been doing this for approximately you 10 years? About that. Yeah. I, I um, started residency. I'm looking at my degrees because I, it's all a blur, <laughs> right? Um, I started residency in 2009 in Detroit. Woo-hoo. And I'm from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I have the Detroit hoodie on too. Ah. <laughs> I graduated um, residency in 2016 and then went to fellowship in 2017. Nice. Yeah. Um, so you did fellowship. Is it is it a general surgery residency first and then you subspecialize into breast cancer surgery? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So I did, um, five years of general surgery and two years of research. So seven years and then, um, then off to Houston. Wow. Seven years in Detroit. You did your time. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It's so cold there. (laughs) I know my husband had to shovel out my Prius when the plows didn't come when I had to go to work. Oh yeah. Yeah, or they come by and they plow your car into your driveway and you can't yeah. get out. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I lived that for a long time. <laughs> That's so, amazing. So when we talk about breast health, mm-hmm. um, you're a breast cancer surgeon. There's a few different steps or stages that a person goes through before they get to you, right? If they've been diagnosed with breast cancer, there's other modalities first or you're just one of the many modalities or how does, how do you fit into the puzzle? Maybe that's what I'm trying to Usually, understand. Uh, so a woman will either be diagnosed by a screening mammogram or okay. a palpable finding. So um, every year I recommend that women get their annual screening mammogram starting at 40. Oh, okay. Um, for average risk women. And if you have a family history, uh, sometimes you're in a high risk category where you get screened earlier. Ah, most of the cancers I see are from screening mammograms. They're usually small, early stage. That's why we recommend mammograms or a palpable finding, meaning a a lady's doing her breast exam and she feels a lump and then she gets a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound and biopsy. So then I see them after that. I'm the first. Oh, okay. To rule out if surgery is something and or to rule in, I guess, to consider or decide how aggressive the surgery might need to be. Exactly. So I I look at this stage, I talk to the the patient about, you know, different treatment options, what I would recommend. And as a surgical oncologist, I um, can kind of think about them in a multidisciplinary fashion and say, oh, you need chemo first, you need surgery first radiation is going to play a role in your care, endocrine therapy. And I kind of give them a bird's eye view of what to expect. Um, And then they go from there. Okay. When I, when I was 26, 
I found a lump on my breast uh, underneath, like the lower left breast. So I ended up getting an ultrasound and I have a fibroadenoma. They did mm-hmm. an ultrasound, not a mammogram, but they just recommend that I do my monthly monitoring and I check in with my physician. But, uh, but that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about the screening mammograms. And I was like, I never, I've never had a mammogram. Have you? Yeah, I have this. Yeah, I have had uh, maybe two. Not very many. I mean, I'm 43. So yes, started at I probably didn't have one this year. I think I had one like at the end of last year. So I'm probably due. Um, but yeah, they found like a dense spot that they weren't really concerned about. They were like, you may want to consider having ultrasound mm-hmm. every year instead of a mammogram. Oh, Something small, yeah. but then there's some dense tissue. I don't even remember which one it is, to be honest, which side of me, but yeah. there's some dense tissue. They're like, you may want to have ultrasound instead uh or I actually asked about it because I have a friend who had an advanced stage breast cancer diagnosis because she missed one year of checkups and like during COVID beginning of COVID everybody was told not to go into doctor's offices like don't go into the doctor if you're not actually sick if you're healthy you can skip your yearly screening she skips a year goes in she's she actually didn't even go in. She just started feeling insanely run down. And this is a woman who teaches oh. body pump type of classes. So she's very fit, very active, vegan, skipped, started to feel so run down. She couldn't hardly get through her warmups in her classes wow. and went to the doctor. They ran a bunch of tests and found like an advanced breast cancer Wow! and her mammogram from the year before never saw anything. So me knowing her story, like they were like, you probably should have been having ultrasounds. So me knowing her story, when I saw that, I was like, should I be having ultrasounds? And they were like, you can certainly request that. (laughs) I was like, okay. Like no one was really adamant or advocating or yeah, yeah, advising me or educating me on it. I just happened to know that from having, knowing someone here who was in a similar situation. And I think that's why I love having you Kelly on our podcast today, because one of the reasons I think Mandy and I love podcasting is we want to have these types of conversations. We need to be sharing stories so that mm-hmm. we, you know, we may not all be medical physicians or have the medical knowledge, but if we're sharing each other's stories like this, when you hear of other people's stories, you can maybe advocate better mm-hmm. for yourself and ask questions like, do I need to get an ultrasound? Yeah. My, one of my questions to Kelly was ultrasound versus mammogram risks, benefits, like, is there a time when patients, like, I guess by the time they get to you, they've had both. Usually. Yeah. Um, about 50, 40 to 50% of women have dense breast tissue. Um, so screening ultrasound. So first of all, mammogram is gold standard, annual mammogram, yearly, yearly mammogram, gold standard for screening. Starting um, at 40. Starting at 40. Um, 50 percent, 40 to 50% of women have dense breast tissue, which means screening by mammogram is a little bit more difficult, um, because dense breast tissue, it's kind of the ratio of fatty tissue to functional breast tissue and dense breast tissue can hide cancer. Um, small, smaller cancers are harder to detect. So in people who have dense breast tissue, we recommend 3D mammograms. We also uh, occasionally recommend an ultrasound as well, a screening ultrasound. Um, And that's really based on your history, your family history and your risk. Um, but, But the state of Arizona is actually required by law or there's a law in the state of Arizona to tell women about their breast density with a mammogram report. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens this year when I call and let them know I'm ready for my, <laughs> for my next screening and see what, um, what I have, what I end up having done. But yeah, I'm the mammogram super easy. I think people, I think you're scared of them going in. Cause you just hear all the nightmares of like your moms and your aunt yeah. and your grandma's being like, Oh yeah. They just grab your boob and they put it in this smash thing it. and they smash it into a pancake. That's what my mom says. And I'm like, I don't really have that much to smash. Like, what's this going to be like? <laughs> yeah. I went in and it was like the easiest thing oh, ever. It was okay, over yeah. so insanely fast. Like it wasn't like these cold, hard plates, like killing me, like everyone else. And, and honest to God, it's over so quick. Oh, okay. Good. 
it was like not uncomfortable. I was not traumatized. I think it was Simon Med imaging. Like if I'm going to throw out who did it, but like, I, it was really easy. She was super nice. She was very experienced and it was not traumatic at all. So Perfect. if you, so if you know that you are one of the women that falls into the category of 40 to 50% of women who have dense tissue, would then the gold standard be an ultrasound or you would still do the screening mammograms until you found something abnormal and then do the ultrasound? Well, it kind of depends. Um, if you have dense breast tissue, no family history and no other risk factors, um, 3D mammogram is adequate. Ah. But if you have risk factors, like say you had an abnormal biopsy the year before, um, you uh, have a family history of breast cancer, you have a gene mutation, but certain gene mutations, we offer risk reducing surgery. And that's kind of another story. Um, they would recommend an ultrasound to um, be an adjunct to the mammogram, but we never, um, you know, not do mammograms. Mammograms are always the gold standard the gold add and supplement with other imaging. Uh, occasionally, we even do an MRI, breast oh. MRI, which is uh, kind of a more intense study. Intense meaning it just takes longer. Um, you have a little IV started, there's some dye that goes in your vein, and then the breast tissue is looked at um, with a different uh, technology. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I, I am curious, like, as a breast cancer surgeon, do you see some major mistakes women are making when it comes to their breast health? I mean, obviously skipping a mammogram is a huge mistake. Um, is there, are there some other, like, is there another basic that we should all be doing or skipping? You know, um, there was a lot of controversy in this. Um, but I really advocate for breast self-exams, um, patient or, you know, self-exams in the shower every month or so, um, because women in their twenties and thirties can be diagnosed with breast cancer, but you don't start screening until 40. And so these patients almost always feel something on exam. So like, mm -hmm. so I am having overall body and breast yeah. health awareness is really important. If the little voice in the back of your head is like, this is, wasn't there the month before something's wrong. I don't feel good. You know, this, I just need to get checked out. Just do it. It's, it's, um, you know, it's really important to listen to, to that voice and, and know your breast tissue. I may have missed that controversy. Why? So yeah, was, was it that people didn't think that monthly exams were beneficial. I've always been taught that. So I, I do. That's why at age 26, I found the lump, you know, so I just wasn't sure. Yeah. So it, um, was thought that it could add to more anxiety and more testing. Mm. So it's, it's not that controversial or, yeah. anymore, okay. but I feel like it's still out there that, you know, um, patients are, are not, really told to examine their breasts themselves or, um, you know, don't worry about it. The mammogram will pick something up if there's something there, but it's really, really important to have breast awareness, you know, look in the mirror when you're, before you get in the shower, examine yourself with your arm up, your arm down, go all the way to the collarbone, to the breastbone, to the side, and then underneath your breast and behind the nipple. Um, and then signs of you know, things that are suspicious or things to look out for are really changes in the shape of your breast, feeling any lumps, size discrepancy that wasn't there before, because we all have kind of um, potentially different size breasts. They're not completely symmetric, but if, if you notice a size discrepancy that is new, that's important. Um, skin changes, nipple discharge, nipple retraction, skin retraction, anything that's that's out of the ordinary that, you know, say, it makes you think, oh, this, this is something I probably shouldn't ignore. Just, you know, don't ignore it. I, I um, unfortunately see a lot of patients who, who felt a lump. Um, some were told by their physicians, oh, you're too young to have breast cancer. We'll just, you know, it's probably a cyst. Um, or they just didn't listen to the, 
the voice inside their head saying, you probably should get this checked out and just ignored it until it was a real problem and harder to treat. On the, on the note of like that, that inner voice, sometimes that inner voice tells you, but you ignore, just like you had said, Kelly. And I actually had a patient 10 years ago when I was in residency that came to me and she was there for a cleaning or a filling mm-hmm. or something. And she shared with me that she found a lump in her, in her breast and, and it had been there for about two months or three months. And I said, have you gotten that checked out? And she said she was too scared to do anything or that it was nothing and it'll go away. And I finally told her, I was like, no, you have to go. And if not, I will call your physician for you because I have your physician's information. And it ended up being breast cancer. And so like, and she's still alive today. She texts me every Thanksgiving. Oh yeah. To remind me that, uh, you know, but it's just those things. Like I'm a big advocate for women supporting women and sharing in safe, you know, sharing our vulnerability in, in safe places so that we can encourage each other to do some of these things. Like I'm not a physician. I can't help you with that lump, but I can maybe remind you or be that outside voice because mm-hmm. you're not listening to your inner voice. And yeah. maybe I can, you know, we can be each other's external voices. If you come up with something that you go, that's odd. You need to keep an eye on yeah. it for a couple of weeks. I mean, hormonally, we can all go through changes yes. throughout the month, like breasts and whatnot, but like keep an eye on a couple of weeks and like two months is time. Like it's, oh, this hasn't gone away. Oh, this hurts. Oh, this looks weird. Oh, this is doing strange things. Get your butt to the doctor. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so pre and post mastectomy. Can you tell us a little bit about like, do you have advice for women who are going down that path or have been down that path? Is there something we can give to them? Absolutely. So there are a lot of surgical options when it comes to breast cancer treatment, at least surgically. Um, I'll kind of, you know, hone in on that because that's my specialty, but there is Uh, options for breast conservation or lumpectomy where they don't have to have a mastectomy or their breast removed. Um, A lot of women opt to keep their breasts and have a lumpectomy. There's also uh, a mastectomy, meaning removing the breast tissue, sometimes keeping the skin for reconstruction, but a lot of women are opting for flat closures as well. And there's also implant-based reconstruction or autologous-based reconstruction. And autologous is using your own um, body tissue to reconstruct a breast mound. So there are a lot of options Um, and there's no difference in survival between one or the other. So, um, you know, my job is to really counsel patients and see what works best for them. Wait, where are they pulling tissue from? The abdomen. It's almost like a tummy tuck. Oh, twofer. Yeah, twofer. <laughs> I'm really big on three furs and four furs and five furs, but that's a twofer. You get a silver lining. And, and <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Wow. I, I have never the heard cancer that. part, but I love right. <laughs> I have never heard that. I have two friends in the last probably gosh, seven, eight years maybe, who have gone through breast cancer. And one, I believe, lumpectomy, one double mastectomy. Oh. Um, and like flat closure. And she had reconstruction, you know, not long after her surgery. Um, with like uh they put spacers in there, I guess. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what they were called. And mm-hmm. yeah, she eventually um had implants and uh reconstructive surgery, but she was 29, I think, at diagnosis. And my other friend, I believe, was 39 at diagnosis. Oh. And went through lots and lots of chemo, lots and lots of struggles with chemo. Like they stopped her chemo earlier than planned because it was just wrecking her. Like she was getting a lot of neuropathy and not feeling her feet so much. And I mean, she's great now. She's still cancer free a few years later. Um, But yeah, so it's interesting. I've seen some very young friends go through a lot of this stuff and it's, it's kind of wild and there's so many options out there. And I know patients are hurled a lot of information. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad your friend's doing well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how has becoming, how has it, how has becoming a cancer doc sort of changed your outlook on life or your health or how you kind of approach maybe family or your time? Absolutely. So I, um, 
When I was a resident, I mentioned that I had my son, my oldest, he's now 11. And um, he was born um, with several, you know, issues that we didn't quite know how things were going to shake out. And he had a couple brain surgeries. So, you know, really, I was kind of thrust into um, a situation really where I was an advocate for my little patient, my son. And so I became kind of the, the patient's um, ally through that. So I always kind of envision, you know, how I how I interact with patients now as how I was treated as a patient and as a patient advocate. Um, and, you know, being a cancer doctor, it's, you you learn that life is just so precious. Life is so precious. You um, you know, I I try not every no one's perfect, but I try um, you know, not to let the little things bother me, um, not to go to bed angry, always to tell my family and friends that I love them. And even though I'm not good, like I said before, it 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 um it really keeping in touch with all of my friends and and family and mentors um, over the years, but just just appreciating every day and really living in the moment. I love that. That's, I think that going through anything like that, I'm glad your little one's okay, by the way, and turning 11, like, that's so cool. Um, Being a patient and being put in that position really hopefully build your empathy kind of like Miley was saying she had that experience of being on the other side of it did you say that in this or before we were chatting before I was talking about how when you become the patient you start to develop and really increase your level of empathy yeah right now I'm going through trying to figure out if I can manage my prediabetes or not, or if I'm going in the right direction or the wrong direction, mm-hmm. but it, it can be really confusing when you get a new diagnosis and you don't know how to navigate through life with that new diagnosis. And so being, ha- being a patient or having a patient advocate or being a patient advocate for your friend or your family member is really important because it does help build empathy. But if you are a healthcare professional, I would say for any kind of professional, but especially a healthcare professional, it can really help you better, uh, better connect, relate to mm-hmm. your patients. I'm sure now, like I didn't really know how it felt to like have a root canal until I had a root canal. And now I have a lot more patients with my patients who have mm-hmm. a, have significant pain from the root canals or so. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of new diagnosis, something that has come to my attention a lot lately is breast implant illness. I've been hearing a lot about it lately. I feel like in certain just threads and things I see online for whatever reason. Um, and I've known some people like acquaintance level who had their implants out recently. Are you, do you, are you seeing a lot of that as well? Before you answer, I, I actually have never heard that term. I can assume I can probably make a guess at what that is, but maybe if I have that question, other people might. So maybe Kelly What is breast implant illness? Yeah. Maybe you guys can define that for me. So there is, um, there's a, so there are kind of two things. So there's a rare form of cancer that can be associated with implants and it's a textured type of implants that is no longer on the market. Um, and again, it's very rare. It can present as either a mass or fluid around the capsule or around the implants. So if, if you have breast implants and you notice any changes to your breasts, get checked out. Um, the other issue is breast implant illness, which is not a cancer. It's, it's more of kind of a, um, and I don't really, you know, I'm not a plastic surgeon, so I don't really, um, see these patients day to day, but I see patients with implants for a, a breast concern, and they happen to kind of discuss this this topic with me. Um, but it's it can be described as increased fatigue, um, just changes in your body that that may be attributed to your implants, and it's I think it's really hard to diagnose, um, and you can't really necessarily 
prove that it's that. It's like a diagnosis of exclusion, essentially. Mm. And with the implant removed, that sometimes can can cure the patient or help them with all of their symptoms that they're experiencing. Oh, that's not what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just I've heard a lot about it, like women complaining of very general broad things, Mm. but greatly affecting them in how they're able to function in life. Like Kelly said, fatigue and maybe diet, maybe like dietary or um, Mm -hmm. digestion type of issues and brain fog and almost things like we would might associate with, like if you're, have a gluten sensitivity and you're eating a bunch of food that you shouldn't and your body's like, what's going on? We're not functioning right there. The attention in your body is being directed to the wrong place and everything else is sort of low functioning. Um, so yeah, I just, I'd been hearing a lot about breast implant illness and I was curious if, uh, what your thoughts might be on that, but that's interesting to know that it's certain types of implants are off the market now. Yeah. I know that's again, true. medicine is a super young science and uh, like things are always going to be changing. Mm-hmm. So understand your risks and benefits and understand that those might change 10 years from now. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Kelly. I feel like we got a lot of information. Is there there any topic or information that we didn't touch on that you'd like to share with our listeners? So I would definitely recommend getting your mammogram annually. Um, That's the gold standard. Um, Having breast awareness and really, you know, listening to your body, you know, treating yourself with kindness. and grace and living in the moment, I think is, is what I, what I try and live by. So. I love that. Grace is something that I've been trying to work on for the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, giving herself grace. Yes. Giving myself grace. COVID Mm -hmm. really, really encouraged me to kind of take some time and be kind to myself and give myself grace when I mess up or, you know, not, not to be so hard on myself. Uh, and, and, and so, and then not to take life for granted, I guess. I mean, I know it's cliche to say, but I think not just with the pandemic, but from your perspective, when it comes to cancer and other life-threatening and, or devastating illnesses and, or diseases or diagnoses, really important to, you know, I know we always say life is short, but I think life is long and if you want to be around for it, you really need to pay attention to what your body's up to and take care of it as best to your ability. Beautifully said. It's the only one you get. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So take care of it, people. (laughs) Yeah. I love the whole awareness thing because Kelly said not only breast awareness, but like general self-awareness, right? We're in Arizona. I talk to my patients a lot about being aware of your face, like for skin cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's all of those things, just like Mandy said, like, if, if you want a long life, be aware of all the different changes, be, be aware of your body, be aware of your health, be proactive and engaged in your health. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I tell my patients that some of the risk factors, every time I, you know, meet with patients who are in surveillance or survivorship mode, you know, I say, I run through the risk factors. Don't smoke. If you do smoke, quit. That's the most important thing you can do for yourself. Alcohol can increase your breast cancer risk. So um, less than one drink per day on average is what I would recommend, even less than that. Um, Exercise 150 minutes per week at a moderate intensity. If you don't smoke, that's the best thing you can do for yourself is get moving and exercise and, and then get screened. Awesome. You know, sorry, one more thing before we let you go and we've taken a ton of your time and I want to be mindful, but because you are in this field and you are talking to people, like you said, in surveillance or survival ship modes, how do you kind of let go at the end of every day? Cause I imagine a lot of days can be really heavy having to talk yeah. to people about these diagnoses and getting that, all of that energy back from them that they're kind of really weighed down right now. Like what do you do at the end of the day to sort of let go, decompress, and then check into, you know, family and Kelly time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's at the end of the day, I, I go to bed early. I go to bed earlier than my two-year-old sometimes, but 
But in the morning, I wake up early to run and and run is really my moving meditation. It feels good. It makes me, you know, alert and um, mindful. And then I when I come home in the evening, I just kind of leave everything at the door. Um, I, you know, I do take patient phone calls and give patients, you know, advice or bad news sometimes when I'm at home um, after hours. You know, I, I try and keep my my home kind of my sanctuary because I have to be a mom. I can't I can't be um, distracted. And then, you know, I give it a hundred percent when I'm at work and a hundred percent as much as I can when I'm at home. That's awesome. I love, I love that I love running it. is your meditation. I used to feel that way about the spin bike, <laughs> the one that we're staring at right now. Yeah, my knee's been down, so I haven't. Still? Been, oh my oh, god. Oh, I'm sorry. Mandy. Yes, down bad. Like it clicks. 90% of the time as I'm walking now and it's, it's less painful, but it's still making bad noises. So I'm trying to, get to annoy painful. it. Yeah. You should get that checked out. Yeah. I think it just needs to heal. Cause <laughs> was, I heard that it. That was your so. external voice right there. <laughs> yeah. It's starting to feel better. So I know it's healing. It's just needs a little more time. So but still I did I, some squats today and my oh, knee is cranky for it. So should get it checked out. Yeah. I don't think there's anything to check out, but I don't know. <laughs> thank you so much, Kelly. Thank really you. appreciate you being here with us today. Um, yeah, thank you. Go take care of those babies and get to bed early. Yes, I will. Absolutely. Thank you so much. The, um, all the boys and all the people at the party gobbled up those cupcakes. So thank you <laughs> oh, they were wonderful, yeah. as always. Andy's I love it. I'm so glad they made everybody happy. Yeah. You're great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds great. And as a final note, if you would be so kind to give us a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it is truly helpful to our little show. And if you found this episode helpful to you, please share it on social media or with a loved one. You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Woman Get In. And you can find me, Miley, at Dr. Smiley Miley. And I, Mandy, am at MandyPants15 on Instagram. Thanks so much, friends. We'll see you next week.